Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Uh, We are in week three of this series, Me and My Big Mouth, and we're just talking about how to better use our words, uh, the power of the tongue. And I need a little bit of help with you just for some very simple, straightforward problem-solving pieces. So problem solvers in the room, uh, help me out a little bit. Uh, You're in your car, uh, you're driving along, just cruising, and all of a sudden, you realize that your accelerator is stuck. What do you do? Put it in park. That sounds painful for your transmission, but it will bring things to an end. What are some other ideas? What might you do? Break. Maybe put it in neutral. Turn off the ignition. These are not trick questions. Don't die, everybody, if your accelerator gets stuck. Okay, here's another one. You're in the kitchen. You're cooking. You got a pan there. Uh, You take off the lid. A little bit of oil spills out. Some flames everywhere. What do you do? Uh, You put the lid back on. You just take the oxygen out of the room. Okay, one last problem solving for everyone. Uh, You have two young kids. You don't know what happened, uh, but all of a sudden, man, they are just going at it. Uh, They are just in a pure down fight. What do you do with the kids? You separate them. You separate them. All right, there you go. Now, see, we understand. We know how to problem solve, don't we? But when it comes to our words, when we're engaged in that intensive discussion. Oh, we don't know how to put it in neutral. Uh, We don't know how to turn off the ignition. We just keep going at it full force. Uh, Whenever we're going back and forth with somebody, maybe it's in person, uh, maybe it's online. Oh, we don't know how to take the oxygen out of the conversation. As a matter of fact, sometimes we just pour on and increase the fire. And uh, for some reason, even when we're really in it and it's going nowhere good fast, we always don't, ha- we don't always have the emotional intelligence or maturity to be able to separate, to be able to step back, to step away from the conversation. We tend to do things with our words that we all too often regret. And the great news is scripture has so much practical instruction for how to use our words. And for the first two weeks, we were in James, and we talked about how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And then last Sunday, Pastor Ryan took us to James, where James really lets us know what he thinks about the tongue and about the danger of the tongue and how powerful it is, this one part, to determine the course or the direction of our lives. As a matter of fact, James says this, uh, he says, And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. And surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. James just calls us all out, right? He says, you know, the same mouth that you use to praise God shouldn't be used to tear down those that he created. Uh, The same mouth that you can use to build others up shouldn't be the same mouth that just like slanders and just tears people apart. He says, like, out of the same mouth shouldn't come both all this good and all this bad. And that's the power that is the danger of the tongue. And our words can have so much of an impact on people's lives. As a matter of fact, often our words have more impact than our actions do. And we all have a choice. We are all architects with our words. We can use our words to build other people up, or we can use our words to tear other people down. And if you think about it like this, think about it uh, if you 
talk to somebody and they're talking about the home they were raised in. Uh, They were talking about their parents. And you get a pretty good idea about the power of words and how they talk about their parents. Because it's never just about actions. It's not like, oh, they put a roof over my head. Or, oh, they gave me food to eat. Uh, or even that they just showed up to all of my sporting events or all my school events. You'll often hear kids talk about their parents that they love with their words, and it goes like this. You know what? Nobody believed in me like my mom or my dad did. Uh, Whenever I was having a bad day or I was so discouraged, they would just sit with me and they'd listen and they'd give me perspective. Nobody believed in me and, and just trusted and wanted the best for me like my mom or dad did and the encouraging words go on and on because that is the power of words to build other people up you've also heard some of those horror stories as well some of you have lived those horror stories where you talk about your parents and they used words to tear you down and your whole feeling of self-worth your identity Your self-esteem was just destroyed because the people who were to love you the most and build you and encourage you the most were the people that seemed to tear you down all too often. As we're talking today, I want you to get someone in your mind who believed in you, who believed the best about you, and and they used their words to convey that. Uh, They were the encouragers in your life. They were the people that were building you up. They wanted what was best for you. And it's not all fluff and stuff. There were people who were willing to say even the harder things when you needed to hear them, knowing that it's what you needed to hear at that time. Now, I'm going to ask you a movie question. Has anybody else uh, in the room saw the movie King Richard Jet? It's been out for two weeks. Anybody? All right, so a movie, if you haven't watched it yet, great movie. Uh, it's really uh, the childhood story of uh, Venus and Serena Williams, but it's more about the story of their dad. And if you watch this movie, I want you to watch it and just look at the power of words, how he believed in them, how he encouraged them, how he even pushed them, because he believed the best, and he believed in the future that they could have. That's the power of words. And today we're going to leave James in the what instruction he has for us about the power of words. We're going to go to the Apostle Paul and see some of the things that he has to say and how we use our words, how we use our tongue as we engage and how we treat and talk to one another. If you're not familiar with Paul, um, before Paul was building up the church, before Paul was spreading the word of Jesus, actually his name was Saul, and he was Saul the Destroyer. Uh, he, after the resurrection, he was going after anybody who was part of the way, anybody who was following Jesus. Uh, he was having them arrested, uh, tortured, sometimes even executed. And then he had this Damascus Road experience uh, where he encountered like the light of Jesus and his life changed. And he went from Saul to being Paul. He went from being a destroyer to being one who builds up. And Jesus just totally transformed his life. And that's what Jesus continues to do today. And when we're transformed by Jesus, it impacts all elements of our life. And sometimes we forget that as we're following Jesus, the way that we use our words reflects our belief in who we are following as we follow Jesus. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, towards the very end of this letter that Paul writes to the followers of Jesus in Ephesus. And he's going to give them some instructions 
about their words, but before that, he's talking about how life was different before Jesus and after Jesus. And he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Paul's like, come on, life's different for you. You no longer mimic the culture around you. The culture around you doesn't see the world the way that God does. Uh, The culture around you doesn't view people the way that God does. And he says, your life and the way that you use your words and the way that you act, it's transformed because you've made a decision to follow Jesus. You're now mimicking Jesus. You're trying to become more and more like him. You're no longer mimicking the world. And he says, the culture, man, they're hardened in their hearts because they don't see people the way that God sees them. They don't see each and every person as someone who God created, who God greatly loves, who God gave his son Jesus for. But you know differently. This new life impacts how you treat and speak to other people about other people. Now, what does that look like for us? Well, what are some things in our world? What are some things in your life uh, that you stand out from the culture? That you're no longer following the culture and acting just like the culture does. You're no longer mimicking the culture. You stand out. Something's different because you are a Jesus follower. Well, think about social media. Social media is a space where so many people are just tearing other people apart, but just putting people down, using their words in all of these destructive ways but not you because you don't mimic the culture, right? You don't see people the way the culture does. You don't see other people as being your enemies or against you. As a matter of fact, you mimic Jesus, and you see people the way that God does, and it impacts your words and how you, what you type or what you write on social media. You use this as a tool to encourage, affirm, and to build other people up. But what else? What else don't we um, mimic in our culture? What else is different for us because we're Jesus followers? Well, pick your um, news outlet, whatever news station, whatever like media you follow. Now, they report the news, but they exist to make money. And one of the ways that they make money is to get you to engage as often as possible, to keep you tuned in. That's why they're like always breaking news, whatever news station you watch. But how do they make money? How do they bring you in? Well, it's always going to be a very strong fear base because fear sells and fear draws you in. It's always going to be words that are meant to divide, trying to pin you against other people that you know make other people the enemy, but not you because you don't mimic the culture. As a matter of fact, you're following Jesus. Your life reflects him more and more and more. So you can talk about the reality of our world and the situations, but you're always pointing people towards the hope that we have in Jesus. You're always finding a way to view other people as being someone who God created, someone who God greatly loves, someone who God was willing to give his one and only son for. So we don't mimic the culture. We follow and we mimic Jesus in how we look and how we treat other people. And then in verse 20, he goes on and he says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. And you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. 
Paul says, this isn't new for you. All of you followers of Jesus in Ephesus, you heard this before. When I came to you, when I told you about Jesus, when this church was established, when I taught you, this isn't new information. You knew that you are living a different life because you were following Jesus. You knew that you were no longer following the ways of the world. But you need a reminder. Isn't that true for you and I as well? Don't we often need a reminder that the way that we live, the way that we act, don't we need a reminder about the way that we use our words, our tongue, looks drastically different than the world around us. That the way that we use our words resembles and reflects our Lord and Savior Jesus as we follow him. The Ephesians, man, it was a polytheistic world. Many gods, but really no morality. And it was simply might makes right. If you have power, if you have money, You get what you want at the expense of those that don't have power and don't have money. And Paul's like, all of you Jesus followers, you don't mimic that. That's not a part of the culture that you mimic. And as a matter of fact, you look very different because you follow Jesus. You're willing to serve others. You're willing to build up others, encourage others. And then Paul gets to some very straightforward direction about the way that you and I use our words as Jesus followers, what looks different in us. And he says this, drop down to verse 29, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. What is unwholesome? If you go back to this Greek word, it is the same word that would describe rotting fish, uh, smelly sandals. In other words, Paul's saying, do not let any stinking stuff come out of your mouths. Don't, don't let it happen. So what does that look like? Uh, think about it like you've picked up your kids from track, uh, from soccer, football, dance, whatever else, and, and you're driving home, and then all of a sudden you just like, you smell it, right? They have taken off their shoes. And he, like once that stink is out, like you can't get it back in. And you're rolling down your windows. You're hoping for some of that Lancaster County uh, fresh manure smell and air to like, replace the stinky shoe. And you know that is just that kind of putrid, horrible, disgusting smell. And Paul says that doesn't reflect you anymore. That reflects the culture. That reflects the world around you. But it doesn't reflect you as a Jesus follower. All that stinking stuff. All those words that tear down. All those words that harm. All those words that destroy. All those words that belittle. All those words that harm someone's self-esteem. All those words that attack somebody's sense of worth and value. All that stinking stuff doesn't belong on you. It's not what Jesus wants coming out of your mouth. You look different. So stop stinking up the place. Stop stinking up the place with your words. Stop stinking up your relationships with your words because there's such a better way for you. And And he goes on. In verse 29, he continues and he says, but only, not the stinking stuff come out, but only what is helpful for building others 
up. Only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Paul says this powerful, dangerous tool that God has gifted us with. Our tongues, our mouths, the words that come out of it. You want to remain silent. We use our words. We reflect Jesus well when we build others up. When we look at what they need and we speak to them according to their needs in a way that builds them up, that is helpful for them, that benefits the person who is listening. And it's not use our words to make me look good or use our words to get what I want or use my words to prove that I'm right or to use my words that in a way that it benefits me at the expense of others. It's use our words to build others up in a way that it benefits them. So what does it look like to build somebody up? We get an idea of what this looks like. How do you use your words to build somebody up? You speak words of encouragement. You speak words of care. You speak words of love. You can speak words of concern. You can help to build up and esteem others. You can use your words in a way that it strives for understanding. You can use your words to be a positive person, a positive influence in their lives. And Paul gives us this construction word, building others up. And what you and I can do is you can think about every conversation you have, every conversation you have as a construction site. And you're the architect. architect. You get to choose what you do with your words. And Paul says, think about the way you use your words in every conversation to build other people up, to create something beautiful, not to tear others down. Take a look at this uh, concept in Romans and the way it applies to the church. So then, let us aim for having harmony in the church and try to build each other up. The whole idea of harmony, of unity, how does that happen? As we build one another up, as we use our words appropriately to reflect Jesus well, to encourage and to build other people up. And I I love this verse because it has that word try, doesn't it? Because let's face it, sometimes we've tried and we've been unsuccessful in building other people up. Sometimes we've tried, man, and we've just opened our mouth and we've inserted our foot, just purely accidental, and we're like, then having to apologize. No, I didn't mean to say that. That's not what I was trying to convey. But we try. And sometimes we try and we're not successful because people just don't have ears to hear. They just can't hear what we're saying. You tell somebody, hey, you know, I think, you know, I've noticed you're a really patient person. You are such an easygoing person. You're trying to encourage them. You're trying to build them up. And all of a sudden, what do you mean by that I'm patient? What do you mean that I'm easygoing? Are you calling me lazy? Or like, are you telling me that I don't have any motivation? And you're like, no, 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 that's not what I'm trying to convey. I'm trying to encourage and build you up. But sometimes people just don't have ears to hear. Let's go back to Paul's words of instruction. This whole idea of building others up. But I want to clear up a misconception. Some people, when they read this, they think this just means you have to be nice. Like every word that comes out of your mouth, it just has to be like the nicest thing. And all you do is speak nicely to other people. And some people even hear this misconception that being a follower of Jesus just means you have to be a a nice person. Niceness isn't the goal. 
building others up in a way that it benefits them according to their needs. That's, that's a goal of the way that we speak to other people. And sometimes I will use this phrase. Maybe you've heard me say it before. You just have to stop trying to be nicer than Jesus. Don't, don't try to be nicer than Jesus. Because sometimes when I'm coaching another pastor and I'm talking to them, I'm like, just, just stop trying to be nicer than Jesus. You're not trying to be nice to everybody. You're trying to help people become more and more like Jesus. You're not trying to like, make everybody like you. You're trying to help people grow and mature and, as they follow Jesus. So was Jesus always building other people up? Did Jesus do what Paul says? Well, I'd say yes. And was he always speaking it according to their needs in a way that it was possibly going to benefit the other person? And I would say yes. But was Jesus always just super nice with his words? If you've read the Gospels, you'd probably say, I know that that's not the case. Let me just give you two quick examples. Uh, one, when he's just dealing with the religious leaders. Uh, those people that know like the Old Covenant, the Old Testament more than anybody else. And he says this in Matthew. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. And we'd be like, Jesus, that doesn't sound very nice. And no, no, Jesus isn't being nice here. But is he saying what needs to be said? Is he saying it in a way that has the potential for the Pharisees to all of a sudden get it, to begin to understand that they're missing the mark? Is he doing it in a way that has the potential to build them up according to their needs in a way that's beneficial to them? Yes. And sometimes you and I have to have those tough conversations. Well, you say, well, that's, you know, like a, like a religious leader that doesn't get it. Well, let's take a, one example from somebody who was incredibly close to Jesus, just not part of that circle of 12 disciples. Man, he was part of that inner circle of three. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are things, seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. We're like, Jesus, that isn't nice. None of us want Jesus to say this to us, right? We don't want this. But is it what Peter needed to hear at that moment? Yeah. Peter was missing the mark. Peter was not seeing what God was doing and about to do. Peter needed a course correction. Jesus was able to speak it in a way that not just got Peter's attention, but gave Peter an opportunity to change direction in a way that built him up what he needed in a way that benefited him. And that's the part of this, right, that somehow concerns some of us. Because it's not just about being nice all the time with our words. But for some of us to lean in and have those harder conversations, that I like sort of scares some of us, right? Some of us, we're all at a different place. Some of us, with our mouths, we just need to tone things down a little bit. But there's other of us that, man, you've got to turn things up a little bit. It's in a way that you can speak to others that can speak truth and life and love in a way that will benefit them according to their needs. Let's go back to Paul's instruction. Go back to verse 29, and he gives us some things to avoid. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
And then he gives us a warning. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we use our words to harm others, those little zingers that come out just to jab at somebody, when we use our words to tear someone down, when we just let out that full wrath of our words and our tone on somebody else, when we speak words with the intention of belittling, disrespecting, marginalizing, bullying, harming, or destroying, when you intentionally speak words that are meant to tear somebody down, we are speaking words to a person that God created in his own image. We are speaking those words over someone who God greatly loves. And when we do that, we have that opportunity to grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't let that happen. Follow this instruction. Stop the stinky stuff from coming out. Instead, use words that build other people up. And then he gets a little more of the heart of the matter. In verse 31, he says, get rid of, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That getting rid of, that's taking off, putting it to the side, that getting rid of. Think about the junk drawer you have at home. Think about maybe the way the junk that's in your garage or in your basement or storage room. And when you clean it out, you pack it all up, and you take it all to the curb. In other words, you're never bringing it back in again. And that is this whole idea. He says, don't just stop future bitterness. Take all that stuff from the past, all that garbage, all that junk. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and instead put on. Get all that stuff off and put on. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Here's the issue. Here's what Paul knew about you and I. When bitterness, when anger, when rage, when that kind of stuff takes root, when that kind of stuff is in us, it becomes all but impossible to build other people up. When this kind of stuff owns us, it can be stuff from our past. The people that have hurt you with their words or actions, the people that have intentionally harmed you or tore you down, tore you apart. We let that stuff reside in us. And we take it with us wherever we go. It eventually comes out. It eventually comes out. And so often it comes out with those that are closest to us that we, that we should love and cherish the most. Paul says there's a solution. If you really want to do this, if you, if you really want to control the tongue, if you really want to be that kind of person that's known as someone who builds other people up, there's a very clear and direct solution. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. You need to release those who have harmed you. Forgiveness 
is the decision to give someone from the past what they don't deserve so that you can give to those around you what they do deserve. Forgiveness is to give grace. And Paul says, you know what? To kick all this stuff to the curb, to be able to be someone who builds others up, forgiveness is essential. And I'm not telling you to do it. I'm telling you to do what Jesus modeled himself, what God modeled himself. When he gave us one and only son to pay the punishment for all of our junk, all of our stuff, all of our sin, God forgave us. And he showed his great love for us. And that's the exact same direction that we can give to one another. Forgiveness is the solution to the bitterness, to the rage, and to the anger. Forgiveness allows us to build one another up. On your connection card, if you want to respond to today's message, what I'm asking you to do is just this. I want you to memorize part of this verse or all of this verse. Because when you memorize this and you put it into your head, it begins to bleed out. It's just that subtle reminder. Every time you're sitting at the computer and you might want to type something, or on your phone you want to text that zinger, or when you're in that intense conversation and that human nature kicks in and you're just about to tear someone apart, just allow this truth to kick in, that the only thing that comes out of our mouths or out of our typed or our written words is to be stuff that builds one another up, not that stinky junk that tears others down. Colobus, uh was talking about a time he was with his friend, and uh, they went out to the local news stand in the city and they bought a paper. And this is where his friend buys a paper from every day. And he, he greeted the newsstand owner with just courteous and kind words, and the newsstand owner was just gruff. Uh, he shoved the paper in his face, uh, didn't have anything nice to say, but yet his friend was still incredibly kind, responded graciously as he left the newsstand. And this columnist was saying, is this happen every day? And the guy's like, yeah, every day I go here, I buy my newspaper. Every day the guy treats me the exact same way. And he says, well, are you always so kind and so courteous whenever this person is so just gruff and mean? And the guy's like, yeah, every day, same thing happens. That guy's a jerk, I'm kind and nice. And he says, well, why? Why would you do that? Why would you continue to treat someone like that so incredibly kind, so incredibly graciously, where he is always so uncourteous and mean to you? His friend replied simply with these words, I will not let the way that he acts and speaks define the way that I live my life, define who I am. And isn't that the case for all of us? Come on, the culture, the world around you, there's a lot of stinking stuff. People tearing one another down all the time. And Paul says, but not you who follow Jesus. You look different. You don't mimic the world. You don't mimic the culture. You mimic, you reflect Jesus to the world around you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your straightforward instruction about how to use our words in a way that builds others up according to their needs in a way that it benefits them. 
And so this very day, uh, this week, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for that. For the car ride home, for when we walk back into our workplace and our schools tomorrow, remind us whenever there are those conversations taking place, whenever we're on social media or texting on our phone, to not let that stinking stuff come out, that unwholesome stuff come out. But may we see ourselves as architects, that we can create something beautiful with our words, that we can believe the best for someone and about someone, that we can speak truth and love in a way that can encourage them and build them up in a way that it benefits them. Father, help us to reflect you well, to reflect Jesus well what we say about one another and what we say to one another, may our words reflect that we are followers of Jesus. May we reflect your love, your grace, your forgiveness, your understanding. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.